Um, open your Bibles to Mark 4. When Becky and I were headed out on vacation years ago, uh, we found a cruise out of Charleston. It was inexpensive. It was expensive for us. It was inexpensive. Uh, we got into our little old Hyundai, Hyundai Elantra. Do you, you remember that silver car we had a long time ago? And Charleston's just a few hours from here. So we left the kids. I don't remember where they were. We left them with somebody, I'm sure. And uh, a little apprehensive um, because I'm prone to motion sickness. And you get on the sea and you get motion sickness for sure. Uh, I was loaded up with scopolamine and chewing gum. I don't know if chewing gum helps motion sickness. I, I just like gum. And we headed out to Charleston to go on vacation. And I guess maybe halfway there, her car began sputtering. Um, the engine was sputtering. Uh, it, it, it was a uh, car would shake and shudder. And it would stop and we'd drive and then it would start shaking and shuddering. And after that happened a few times and it was getting a little worse as we went, we pulled over to the side of the road maybe and got out and kind of looked at the engine as if that's going to help. And then we decided, well, let's just get back in the car. Um, we drive a little further. It starts shaking and shuddering. She starts crying. I think this is a great way to start your vacation. Uh, she's thinking we're not going to even make it to Charleston. We're going to miss the boat. There goes our vacation. We've already paid for it. You know, this is, these are the thoughts running through her mind, and, and they were fair thoughts. I, I didn't realize this, but we found out later the problem was is right outside our subdivision at the gas station when we filled up our car with gas. I guess the gas tanks there at the station were low, and we didn't just get gasoline. We also got water. And when you put water in your gas tank, you're going to have some problems of sputtering. Now, I don't know if it was, it's a good outcome. We actually made it to the boat. We did get there. We were able to get more gas. It kind of worked its way out of the car. But then I got seafood poisoning. Uh, uh, ate some bad seafood a couple of days in. It was only like a four or five night trip. I got bad food, got sick, and the last two days spent in the room, cut, curled up in the fetal position, uh, trying to uh, overcome the horrible stomach cramps that I had. But I did learn a valuable lesson. And it wasn't don't eat seafood on a cruise. That may be a lesson, okay? But that wasn't the one I learned. What I learned was is don't put gas and water into your gas tank. When you put gas in your gas tank, well, that goes into your engine. And if there's water mixed in, the outcome is going to be really bad. And this really is a universal principle. It's certainly a spiritual one. What you plant grows. Whatever it is you plant in your life, that's what grows. I mean, it's a universal principle. If you want to be a world-class athlete, you have to train like one. I mean, I remember when Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, his diet came out. And it revealed that he was eating thousands of calories a day, some 10,000 calories. And I thought, there are a lot of people who eat like Michael Phelps. <laughs> but if you're going to eat like Michael Phelps, you have to train like Michael Phelps or bad things are going to happen to you. You know, if you want to learn to play the bassoon, you need to buy a bassoon and not a tuba, right? I mean, what you plant grows. If you want to lose weight, Eat fewer calories than you consume. If you want to save money, spend less than you earn. And whatever you plan into your life, whatever that is, 
That is what will grow out of your life. You will reap what you sow. Someone once said, plant an act, reap a habit. Plant a habit, reap a virtue. Plant a virtue, reap a character. Plant a character and reap a destiny. The spiritual law is this. Whatever you plant into your life is what you will reap later on. It's going to happen. And I'm just going to tell you, you cannot prevent it. If you continually sow something into your life, eventually you will reap it. So what kind of crop are you sowing into your heart? The Apostle Paul speaks about this in Galatians 6. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, of the spirit you'll reap life everlasting. So don't be weary in well-doing. In due season you will reap if you do not faint. Now Paul wasn't just making this up. In fact, Jesus talked about sowing and reaping. In fact, I think Paul is borrowing his idea from Jesus. It was part of a sermon Jesus would preach at various times in his ministry and to the multitudes who followed him. And the way the gospel writers put it is this way. Here is Jesus' sowing and reaping principle. I already read it earlier. Whatever you measure, you meet, that will be measured to you again. That is, whatever you do, whatever it is, that will come back to you later on. And we find this three times in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We find this three times used in different ways, the same principle, and I want to show you what Jesus describes, the law of the harvest. So we'll begin in Matthew chapter 7. We have to start there because that's the first usage. Matthew 7, we find Jesus using this expression. Look at verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with, and with what measure you meet, it will be measured to you again. Do you see that phrase? That's our phrase. Jesus is saying here, sow a condemning heart and reap a harvest of judgment. When you sow in your heart condemnation of others, you will reap to yourself condemnation. Jesus prohibits having a fault-finding spirit against other believers. And he says it quite plainly, judge not. Now, the command here in verse 7, or verse 1 of chapter 7, is part of a do not section in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, chapters 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the middle of a do not section that begins in chapter 6 in verse 1. And if you see that, go back to chapter 6, verse 1. He says, take heed that you do not your charity, your alms, before men. So here we have Jesus saying how we should display our Christian piety. He said, in talking about giving to charity, verse 1, public prayer in verse 3, 
public or fasting in verse 16. He says of these three things, be careful how you do them. This is your Christian piety, how you're worshiping God. Be careful how you do this, that you do not do this for other people's sake. So what Jesus is saying here, do not give to charity, hoping other people will see you do it. Do not pray in public, hoping other people will hear you and say, man, he's so godly. Do not fast and then let everybody know you're fasting so they'll say, what a godly person he is. Don't do it for public uh, notoriety. The second way he uses this begins in verse 19. He talks about how you display your Christian piety. He also talks about how we should think of the world. He says in verse 19, do not seek to be rich. Do you see this? Lay not up for yourself treasure on earth. That word not, there's our not word. Do not seek wealth, worldly wealth. In fact, he says in verse 31, not only that, we shouldn't even be concerned with worldly concerns. He says, take no thought. Do not think this way, saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? Or how will I be clothed? He said, don't even think that way. So he talks about how we should consider the world. And then the third way he uses this is in reference to other people's sinfulness. He says here in chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge. And then later in verse 6, do not attempt to help unbelievers. And I would add here, Jesus isn't making this clear other than the gospel. In other words, he's saying, if you try to reform sinners, they're not going to reform. Don't cast your pearls before the pigs. So this is all part of a do not section. And the negative opinion about other believers, a negative thought about other believers, Jesus says, is not to be tolerated. The word judge here has a wide range of meaning. It can mean to analyze something, uh, like you, you might do at work, you get some information, some data, you're analyzing that, you're judging, you might, or evaluating someone or something. A guy stands out with a timer on a track, and he hits go, and then he hits stop, and he looks at the timer. He's evaluating. That's part of judging. Or, in this case, it means do not condemn or avenge. That's what it means here. The prohibition is that fault-finding attitudes toward others is unacceptable. Have no fault-finding spirit in yourself. So what Jesus is actually saying, judge not, he's saying be positive, not negative, as it relates to other people, particularly, particularly how they're dealing with their sin. You know, you brush up against other believers, you brush up against sinners, right? I mean, you brush up against me long enough, my wife will tell you, she'll tell you this is true. Out of me will come sin. It happens once in a while. And I, I know you're going to have a hard time believing this, but it's also true for her, okay? It's true for all of us. We're all sinners. And because we brush up against one another, because we see the sins of each other so keenly, we're so aware of them, what he's saying here is don't be fault-finding. Don't be going out and looking for the faults of others. Don't have that fault-finding spirit. Be positive. 
In fact, that's why he gives us a helpful assistance. Make sure you evaluate yourself and maybe you have the same problem or a similar problem. Take care of that first so that you can go and help your brother or sister in Christ. What Jesus is saying you can't do, though, is you can't just stand back and criticize. You can't just stand back and say, well, I knew it. She's the worst mom in the whole world. She's terrible. Her kids are out of control. Can't do that. It means you can't look at that fellow believer and say, you know, he really ought to learn how to manage his money better. You might have that opinion in your heart, but you can't condemn them for it. Condemn them for it. Don't stand back and criticize. Because a condemning spirit, Jesus says, risks condemnation in return. Judge not that, or in order that you be not judged. Because... That's what that word for is, because with whatever judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with whatever measure you meet, it will be measured to you again. Fault finding in others may result in fault finding in you. And when this spirit overtakes God's people, it risks overtaking the one who had it in the first place. You go around fault-finding other people, eventually they're going to fault-find back. And you're going to discover, you who are the fault-finders, you'll discover you have a lot of faults to find. I've known Christians that are like this. We used to have a church member years ago who's not with us any longer. He, he made it his mission to find the fault of every single other member in the church. Just went around. He'd call me on the phone. Pastor, did you know this? Did you know that? I had to talk to this guy. Oh, his wife said to me once, I, I dealt with that lady. I don't think she got it. I don't think she got it. But I'm working with her and maybe she will. And I'm sitting here listening to her and I am going, have you no idea what you're saying? That critical spirit. Even while I had other people saying, Pastor, these people are out of control. What are you going to do about it? And I'm going, I have no idea. They're fault-finding others and then all the others turned on them and fault-finded back. That's what Jesus says is going to happen. You have that critical spirit. A critical spirit is going to come back to you. And you find yourself on the receiving end. And that's how others begin to think of you. So what Jesus is saying is don't find faults in other saints. That's God's work. That's God's job. He turns his attention to it. That's not our job because you're going to reap this if you sow this. The way you measure something, he talks about a tool of measurement, maybe some sort of, of a bucket or handle. He's talking about maybe a spoon of some kind, a unit of measurement. The rabbis believed God had two of these, mercy and judgment. And which would you rather have? And if you apply the law against other believers, you risk the law being applied against you. And Jesus is saying, don't make yourself out to be the judge of others. God will do that. He's going to handle that. Your job is to help. Your job is to be positive. So let me ask you, do you find fault with others? 
in your heart right now, just answer the question, are you a fault-finding Christian? Do you have that spirit? Do you fight it? Maybe you say, Pastor, I know it's there. I have it. I have to fight it. Do you pick out other people's behavior and criticize it? Do you question other people's motives? Do you gossip about other people's lives and situations? Do you find error in the way other people handle their lives? Handle their children? Do you find, I have a critical spirit about the way people manage their things? This is the fault-finding spirit Jesus is condemning here. Now, just as we're prohibited from sowing a judgmental spirit, we're encouraged to sow a loving spirit. It's kind of the other way around. And I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 6, because here we're going to find another way Jesus is using this in a very similar sermon that he's preaching. <clears throat> and just as a fault-finding spirit returns a harvest of judgment, a loving heart returns a harvest of blessing. I'm going to say it this way. This is point number two. Sow a loving heart and reap a harvest of blessing. Look at Luke 6. Let's look it down at verse 37 and 38. Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. There's our phrase. You reap what you sow. And just as Jesus says, I prohibit you from you having a fault-finding spirit, now he's saying the exact opposite. Rather, you should have a loving spirit. And it's interesting, as he encourages us to love others, look at verse 37. Judge not, condemn not, Forgive and give. Do you see this love is expressed in a forgiving spirit, which just means to release or unbind from something that has been bound. It just means to set something free. When you forgive someone, you're setting them free from the debt that they owe you. Think about like old days, get on your horse, right? Ride up to the county store, get off your horse, you tie it up to a hitching post, right? Then when you get, you back and put all the stuff you bought on the horse's back, and then you untie it from the hoof. You set it free. You loose it. It's like untying your shoes so you can get them off your feet. It's like unchaining your bike from a bike rack. And in this case, forgive just says, I'm going to set you free from something that you owe me. When a person sins against you, he owes you something. She owes you something. At the very least, we'd say, well, you're owed an apology, right? I mean, they sinned against you. They should apologize. More likely, that individual owes some form of restitution. You, you know, you get angry at your neighbor, you take a rock, throw it through his window. And then later when you calm down, you realize, I shouldn't have thrown a rock through my neighbor's window. You owe, you owe him a new window. At the very least, you owe him a new window. That's restitution. And when you forgive somebody who threw a rock through your window, what you're saying is, you don't have to buy me one. You're setting him free from his guilt, even if he's guilty. 
You will not treat him as guilty. Even as he owes you something, and it's owed, it's a debt, you will not treat him as if he owes this to you. Some of you are old enough to remember the Rodney King scandal in Los Angeles. Rodney King has passed on to whatever reward he gets, he's passed on. But right after this, it was a black man who was uh, in Los Angeles, and, and some policemen beat him, horribly beat him up. And it was all caught on videotape, and there were riots after this. And it, and it was just awful. People turning against one another based entirely on their race. It was just, just sad and sickening, if you remember that. And after it happened, some uh, black men decided they were going to get restitution in kind. The media whipped them up into a frenzy, and they dragged a man out of his truck, and they beat him with a brick. Horribly beat him. And then the case went to trial. And do you know what that man did to those men who beat him? He said, I forgive you. Now, there were still legal issues to be resolved, but he said, I forgive you. I'm releasing you from this debt. And the hardest thing we have sometimes is to say to other people, I forgive you. I mean, look, my window's broken. You owe me a window. But I forgive you. It's okay. You insulted me. But I forgive you. It's okay. You hurt my feelings with your actions, but it, it's okay. I forgive you. Jesus says, instead of finding fault, forgive. It stands in opposition to that fault-finding spirit, that spirit of forgiveness. In fact, the command to give in verse 38 takes it farther. He says, give. That's a command word, give. But now forgiveness is expressed in a giving spirit. You're like the forgiving Santa Claus going around offering gifts to all the people who hurt you. Here's a present of forgiveness. Why don't you open this gift of forgiveness? Here, I'm giving it to you. Forgiveness, forgiveness. I give. This context keeps the idea of forgiveness. It means you keep on forgiving people who've wronged you. You don't take it back. You don't forgive them. And then the next day, they don't show the requisite sorrow that you think they should have. And you say, you know, I forgave you yesterday, but I'm not forgiving you anymore. You, you owe me a window. No, Jesus says you keep giving. You don't go back on your forgiveness. You must keep forgiving that person a gift that just never stops giving. Because ultimately, giving is, well, that's how you should be living every aspect of your life if you're a Christian. This is what it means to have a loving spirit. This is what it means to, to love other people, to give them grace when we have opportunity. I was thinking about my dentist. I'm not happy with him. In fact, I'm not going back to that dentist. They lied to me and then overcharged me. That's not a good way to do business. It doesn't matter what business you're in. Lie to somebody and then overcharge them. Guaranteed they're not coming back, right? I mean, you order a Big Mac, they give you a McChicken and charge you five times the price. You're probably not going back to McDonald's, right? Am I right about this? Bad way to do this. And I was really upset about it. I was yelling all over the house. My wife says, to me something about how I shouldn't be yelling all over the house. <laughs> and how, you know, if I'm going to go talk to those people, I need to be like Christ. You know, and I'm just sitting here going, come on. What kind of wife are you? I want you to commiserate with me. Instead, you're trying to convict. And that is no fun. But then I was thinking about Tycho Brahe. Do you, do you remember who Tycho Brahe was? Some of you know who he was. He was a 
He was a scientist. Tycho Bray, he was kind of a weird guy. I think he had a piece of copper for part of his nose. Do you not remember this? Anyway, Tycho Brahe went to the dentist back when dentists were uh, more like blood letters. You know, they uh, were going to get some leeches out and leech you, and that'll solve your tooth problem. I mean, this is early dentistry. The guy had one of these little long metallic pieces, and and this is what I was actually thinking later. I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up. I didn't just look this up on, on Google or something. This is actually going through my mind. And the dentist dropped it, and it went down Tycho's, I, I guess you just call him by his Tycho, by his first name, went down his throat. Well, that's not a good way to practice dentistry, right? That's worse than being overcharged and lied to. At least he didn't drop something down my throat. Well, later, when he got it back, he took it and cleaned it and took it back to the dentist with a note and with a small gift. And that's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. See, what happens is we say in our heart, I forgive you. But all we mean is, I'm not going to hold you accountable right now. I'm just going to keep it in reserve for when I can come back and use it again against you. No. Forgiveness is to release the debt. This is what it means to love like Jesus. And a loving spirit sown returns love harvested. Give, verse 38. It will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, can I just stop? Does anybody do business that way? Okay, you've got some sort of measurement tool, right? A little cup of some kind, you know, measuring cup. You know those measuring cups you have? You've got one cup, two cups, either glass or plastic. But now it's full of seed. And can you imagine in the ancient world, can you imagine somebody taking that and the first thing he does after he scoops it out is he pushes down on it as hard as he can to make sure I can get more seed in there. I'm going to push down on that. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to shake it real good because maybe there are holes, there are spaces where there's air pockets and I want to make sure there's lots of seed in that measuring container. And then it's not only pressed down and shaken together, I'm just going to keep putting it on there until it's just pouring over the sides. There's going to be so much seed, it's going to go way past the top of that container. It's just going to be a mound of seed. This is what Jesus says. This is what you get back when you give. When you give and you give and you give. And those people don't deserve your forgiveness. But you're showing that loving spirit. Jesus says, this is what happens. It will be given to you in good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. You get more back than you gave. And whether he's talking about more back from God or probably likely more back from other people, he says, because the same measure you be, it will be measured to you again. So when you look at all those people who deserve your scorn, who deserve your anger, who deserve your frustration, and you return it with a smile, when you do that, what God is saying is, that's love. That's Jesus. And that's how you ought to be. And boy, isn't that the opposite of a fault-finding spirit? 
to sow love in others? And Jesus says, oh, you're blessed because you reap a harvest of love from others. The love you measure is the love you give out. And that same measure comes back to you again. So let me ask you, are you a loving person? Maybe you got past the fault finding part, but are you really a loving person? And what I mean by that is this, is would other people characterize you as a forgiving person? Quick to forgive. It's fine. No problem. Don't worry about it. It's okay. He's a giver. She's a blessing. Is this how other people think about you? Or do you hold grudges? Do you keep in your mind what's been given against you and you say, yeah. Or like one pastor friend of mine used to say, I, I don't get even, I escalate. Of course, he was kidding. No. But boy, there are a lot of people like that. A harvest of love returns that harvest blessing. Well, that's not our only one. Now we go to Mark. We'll go back to our text in Mark chapter 4. You sow a fault-finding spirit, you reap condemnation to yourself. You sow love, you reap love. Now you sow obedience. This is my third point. <laughs> sow an obeying heart to God's word. Reap a harvest of truth. Look at chapter 4, look at verse 24 and 25. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it will be measured to you. And unto you that hear, more will be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And, to he, and he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that what he has. Jesus commands us to pay attention to him. He said, take heed what you're hearing. Now, that sounds like a really strange command. If you understand what take heed means, the underlying word is blepo. It just means to I see. It's the Greek word for I see something. So he's saying, see what you hear. Isn't that weird? I mean, do you see what you hear? Do you see little words coming out of a person's mouth, coming over and landing in your ear? That'd be kind of strange. But it just has the idea of taking heed to it or, or paying attention to it. Listen carefully to what you are hearing. I'm speaking, Jesus says, and you need to really pay close attention to this. This is like when you were in grade school and your teacher said, I want everybody to put on their thinking cap. And the teacher acted like she was putting on a hat and tying it under her chin. Do you remember this? Right? Jesus is saying, listen to what I'm saying to you. And he's doing that because he's saying, you need to be attentive to my words. I would say it this way. There's no teaching more important than Jesus' teaching. Would you agree? That's the most important teaching in the world. And really, Jesus is following up now on two important parables that kind of reinforce this. The parable of the sower makes one responsible for how he receives the seed. The parable of the lampstand probably has a very similar argument. In fact, I think the lamp, well, it might be Jesus, but more likely the lamp is referring to the words of Jesus. Jesus is teaching about himself and his kingdom and the people are now responsible for it as if it was coming from the Old Testament itself. So they would open up the scroll of Isaiah and say, yes, I'm responsible for this. Jesus is saying, you have no scroll of my words, but when you hear them, it's as if you're speaking, listening to Bible. 
It's as if you're listening to scripture. And when you open the words of God, ladies and gentlemen, when you open God's words, you're responsible for it. You have to pay attention to it. Because when you sow obedience, you reap a harvest of truth. Look at verse 24. He said to them, take heed what you hear and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And to you that hear, more will be given. That sounds like a lot like what Luke said about how love works. <coughs> Just like the guy who takes his measuring cup and makes sure there's, it's, it's full. You can't get fuller than this. It's full. He's saying, yes, when you listen to God's words, you get more understanding of God's words. There are people, I don't know if you realize this, they know more about the Bible than most pastors, but they're lost. They're unsaved. I love the story of Etta Linneman. She's a German theologian, and she was an unbeliever. She was a critical scholar, grew up in Germany, went to the best schools and, and wrote books critical of God's word. Uh, she wrote um, things that just tore apart the Bible in her scholarly way so that other people would just laud her with accolades of what a great scholar she was. And then one day in Germany, a missionary knocked on her door and just gave her the gospel. And lo and behold, that scholar, that genius, that, that Bible scholar who knew much more the Bible than that missionary ever knew, she had never really understood the gospel because knowledge isn't understanding. And God opened Etta Lindemann's heart and she accepted Christ. You know, one of the first things she said was she made it publicly known. All the books that I wrote are trash. Don't read any of them. I would burn them if I could. Her life completely changed. She got more truth. And as you listen to God's word and you respond to it, you take another step in your Christian life. And then as you listen to God's word and you respond to it, you take another step in your Christian life. But when you listen to me, when you come to a place where God's word is plain and open and you stop responding, then you're stuck. You're broken down on the side of the road. And you're not going to go much further until you say yes to the Lord. And so what he's saying here is everything you hear, you're responsible. Those who refuse to obey will lose what they learn. Look at verse 25. To him that hath, well, that to him it shall be given. But to he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that he hath. He's, he's, he's not saying I'm unjust. That sounds unjust, right? It sounds like the rich people get richer and the poor just get poorer in Jesus' economy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, to everyone who responds to God's word, I will keep giving you more of my truth. But to people who refuse to respond to my word, I'm not going to give you anything. In fact, I'm going to take away from you what I gave you in the past. How many people grow up in a Christian home and on the outside it seems like they're responding. They learn memory verses. They do all these things. But then as they come to adulthood, they actually turn away from God. They say no to God. And God says, fine. And he takes away what they have. Like C.S. Lewis put it in the Chronicles of Narnia series. I think it's Susan 
in the story, you've got the four children, right? One of the, one of the children comes to adulthood and says, no, those were just childhood stories. They were all fake. False. And loses the blessing of Narnia, which, of course, is, is kind of a metaphor for heaven. It's all lost. Those who refuse to obey what they learned will lose what they had. They lose the seed. They're the wayside ground. And when the wayside ground is covered with seed and all you can see is seed, you say, well, that's a pretty good guy. Look at all the seed in his heart. But it's not in his heart. It's on his heart. And he loses it. But those who hear initially, who actually obey initially, they will have more to hear ultimately. And that's the beauty of it. That's the end of verse 24. Unto you that hear shall more be given. In what way you receive what has been measured to you, just like grain is measured out, results more will be measured to you in the future. So if you give yourself fully to God's truth, you gain more of God's truth. That's the blessing here. When you say yes to the Lord, just like we were talking about forgiveness, when you say yes to the Lord, I will forgive those who've hurt me. That's the lesson. People hurt us. We live in a world of sinners. We bump into them. They hurt our feelings. Bad words, bad actions, bad attitudes. And we bump into them and they offend us and they hurt us. And when we show a forgiving spirit, guess what? We get more of God. God says, great, you responded rightly to that. I'll give you a little more information now. Now you're going to understand more about me. But when you say no, wow, you may think you know God. And you may know a lot of Bible verses. But you don't really know him at all. Because from you has been taken what you had. So whatever way you receive what has been measured to you, results in more being measured to you in the future. Give yourself fully to God's truth and you get more of God's truth. And God wants to give you more truth, ladies and gentlemen. He wants you to know more of him. But he only gives it to you if you're willing to have an open heart and an open mind. Open your mouth, the psalmist says. God is speaking. Open your mouth and I will fill it. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. I want to see God fully revealed in his word. I want to understand him fully as he reveals himself in his truth. And as I commit myself to that, and I'm willing to do what he commands me to do, then there God responds and says, I'm going to give you more. The more you obey his word, the more God's word becomes real to you. What would you say that your life is about? Is it about just doing the best you can? Or is it about obeying God and his word? Now, I'm going to tell you, listen to me, folks, friends, listen. We look at little children. We say, you've got it so easy in life, right? You don't have to worry about money. You don't have to worry about your, your, you know, your life. Everything's provided for you. All you need to do is obey mom and dad. How easy. You know what God is saying in heaven to you? You have it so easy. You don't have to worry about making it rain. I make it rain. You don't, you don't have to worry about air being in the 
atmosphere. You know, you're you're breathing along, and then you get to a place. There's no air here. Oh, I'm in space. Back to air again. Oh, whew, thank you, Lord. You don't have to worry about that. It's air is everywhere. I don't I don't sit and think. Is my heart beating? Beat, 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 beat. You know, I don't worry about that. I don't. I have all these functions. God just does. I don't sit after lunch and go. I really hope my food digests this time. It just doesn't cross my mind. God does all these things. God says, you know something? When you respond to me, I just do this. I just give you more. And all the things that God does in this world, all the beautiful things that he does. You look at a child and say, how hard was this? Just obey me. God's saying the same thing. How hard was this? Just obey me. Just obey. Stop being worried about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Don't worry about those things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Don't worry about being wealthy. It's whose will these things be when you're gone? Don't worry about all the... Listen, all the things that the world is so focused on, you don't have to focus on. You just focus on every day walking with the Lord. Every day. And that's all you have to do. And as you do that, God just gives you a little more and a little more. Would you say, Pastor, when you preach, I look for things in my life that I can learn God's word and apply to me. Would you say that's you? Do you actively sit and listen with an open heart and an open mind saying, I want to learn from God today, Pastor, as you preach, as you're preaching, I'm taking it in and I'm learning from God. Would, do you read your Bible with that same expectation? You open God's word and you read it and you just let the words flow over you. You learn from it and you desire to obey it. To say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Life, I can't see the next few steps. Maybe just a little bit. But your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what you've said. So I know that when I take this next step, I'm going to see where I'm going. Okay, I trust you, Lord, I'm going to do it. Is that how you respond to God's word? You see, because when you do, friends, God says, I measure to you more. And that's a blessing. Listen, friends, Jesus is saying there's a law of harvest here. Whenever you sow into your life, whatever that is, out of your life, you're going to reap that harvest. Whatever you sow, whatever you plant, those seeds right now, teenager, those seeds you're planting in your heart of the world, your desire to get away from mom and dad, your desire to, to be on your own and to do your own thing and to be able to be set free so I can just be myself now. You're planting those seeds in your heart. You will reap that when you get older. Listen to me, adults. Whatever seeds you plant in your heart right now, you're going to reap when you get older. And even the seniors here, you can still sow and reap. You still can. You're probably more on the reaping end of things, right? You're more in the harvest of life. You're in the fall. Winter's coming. We know what that means. You're more in the reaping season. 
but you sow, and then you'll reap. So what does Paul say? Don't be weary in well-doing, because in due season, you'll reap if you don't faint. You plant God, and you reap a harvest of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you